Hey there, this is Damien Blinkensop with The Quantified Body. This episode, we're looking at mitochondria again, basically our energy power cells for our body. And as you can understand from that explanation, they have an impact on virtually every process in our bodies. Anything from mental, physical performance and aging and disease. We've looked at mitochondria in the past in episode 16 related to its possible ties to cancer with Dr. Thomas Seafried. We've also looked at its possible ties to autoimmunity. So these are disease states. In episode three, we were talking to uh, Dr. Terry Wiles. Today, we're going to look more in depth at mitochondrial damage and what it can lead to, the reasons behind it, the kinds of symptoms or the lack of performance we can experience when our mitochondria have sustained some kind of damage. And in reality, everyone's mitochondria is going to sustain some level of damage. And this can make you feel less energetic, can give you fatigue, or it can lead to you just performing less optimally, whether it be cognitive performance or physical muscle-related performance. Most of all, and I've experienced this directly, it affects how you feel, how alive you feel. I'm sure everyone can relate to those days where you feel alive, you feel full of energy, and you can get anything done, you've got great willpower, versus other days where you can be struggling more. On my journey, I've experienced kind of extremes of these. And as a consequence, I've really appreciated what optimizing and repairing damage to your mitochondria can do for just the way you feel and the quality of your life. So we're also going to be looking at a specific nutrient therapy that is used to repair mitochondria's membranes, that's their cell walls, and thus their capacity to generate energy. Our guest is Professor Garth Nicholson who has a long, distinguished career. He's the president and founder, chief scientific officer and research professor at the Institute for Molecular Medicine in Huntington Beach, California. He's also professor of integrative medicine at Capital University of Integrative Medicine. He was the leading authority on the study of the cause treatment and prevention of Gulf War syndrome. And on suspicion of bacterium that caused this disease as a product of biological warfare, He made extensive scientific investigations and served as an authority to the United States House of Representatives. For his service, he was conferred Honorary Colonel of the U.S. Army Special Forces and Honorary U.S. Navy SEAL. He has published over 600 peer-reviewed scientific papers, edited 15 medical and science books, and served on the editorial boards of 30 scientific journals. A lot of his published research primarily covers cancer biology and cellular properties related to aging. And in 2003, he introduced sound scientific grounds for the use of lipid replacement therapy. This is the nutrient therapy I was talking about for anti-aging effects, restorative potential for fatigue and muscle weakness and benefits to patients undergoing cancer treatments. This interview is full of great information about the mitochondria and their importance and how we can improve and repair them. I got a lot out of this interview and I've used lipid replacement therapy myself to help me on my journey. I hope you get a lot out of it too. Before we get into the interview, a quick shout out of thanks to Patrick PJK, who wrote an iTunes review recently and said, excellent podcast, great guests, great questions, and well laid out. Very interesting and insightful discussions. Thanks. 
Thanks so much for that feedback. It really means a lot to me. Um, I can also tell that I'm on the right track here. You know, I'm getting a lot of this type of feedback. So, but keep it coming because I just want to keep optimizing the show as well as my biology. And this type of feedback is just helping me to focus on the right things and maybe cut some of the things that aren't so great. So positive or negative feedback, keep it coming. Another quick announcement, I'm going to be in Los Angeles in October and specifically at the Bulletproof Conference, October 23rd to 25th. So if you're planning to go, let me know. I'd love to meet up with you and swap notes on whatever you're doing or talk about all of this stuff. It's all cool. If you don't know what that conference is, it's one of the main conferences to meet people interested in improving their biology, basically. So this year, they're hoping to have 1,000 people turn up, which would be really cool if they they get that. I think it was 500 last year. It's the third year running. You know, so a, a bunch of my friends are going. I'm really looking forward to it to meet a lot of the guests who are talking at the conference, but also everyone else who's going there just because they're interested and it's a great place to network. If you've yet to find out what it is, you can go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash BP conference to check out the details and see if you're interested in going there. And again, if you are going, definitely reach out to me. You can email me directly at Damien, D-A-M-I-E-N, at thequantifiedbody.net. Let's meet up, grab coffee. As usual, if you want the show notes with all of the details broken down from this show, go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash episodes and pick out episode 29 in the list there. If you want all of that in your email inbox every single time an episode comes out, just go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there and thus it shall be done. Now let's meet Professor Garth Nicholson. The Quantified Body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the quantified body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real-world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. Garth, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be on your program. To start off with, I was really interested to find out how you first started working with mitochondrial function, where it first came up for you and you started taking an interest in it. Well, this really goes back to our work on Gulf War veterans. Mm-hmm. And from that, we did work on civilians with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia syndrome, and related fatiguing illnesses. Mm-hmm. And one of the underlying problems in all these, and it turns out any chronic disease, is mitochondrial function. There's just not enough energy around to provide all the necessary high-energy molecules in a cell to perform all the functions necessary. Then you get into energy deficits, and if the energy deficits are systemic, uh, you can have a a chronic condition with lack of energy, uh, lack of mental alertness, all kinds of other additional problems. Because basically every cell requires energy to perform, and some cells, such as the nervous system, require a lot of it six times what most cells require. And so they're particularly sensitive to losses in energy function. It sounds like there's a wide variety of symptoms that could be reflecting some kind of mitochondrial function damage or interruption. Is that the case? Is it it quite a wide variety of symptoms? There are a wide variety of symptoms associated with loss of mitochondrial function. And as I mentioned before, the mitochondria provide energy to your cells. In fact, Almost all the energy is provided by mitochondrial function in our cells. If you're breathing oxygen, you're using that oxygen to provide it to mitochondria so they can convert it to energy along with other molecules that they use in the process called 
the electron transport system, and it's a complicated conversion system, which converts essentially stores that you have in your cells to high-energy molecules that you need for doing a number of different functions. Now, in different clinical conditions, we find that uh, these people have given signs and symptoms, but often they're also related to mitochondrial function because a lot of these problems arise when there isn't enough energy left for cells to perform their functions necessary, and consequently, this could have profound effects. Right. And what kinds of damage can interfere with mitochondrial function? Well, there are a variety of different types of damage. We've concentrated on damage to the lipid membrane of the mitochondria because this turns out to be the most sensitive form of damage or the the most uh, universal form of damage that we find in mitochondria. They're particularly uh, sensitive to oxidative damage. And oxidative damage can occur, for example, during infection, during, uh, let's say, high-performance issues, if you get run down, for example, uh, physically, mentally, you name it, or because of infections or other damages, disease-associated damages, mitochondrial function suffers. And in order to recover from all these, you, you do have to have mitochondrial function available because you can't repair and recover without it. So are we all constantly repairing the lipid membranes, as you were talking about, is this a constant? Because when you mentioned, for instance, uh, high performance, could that be someone like an athlete or someone who's you know, heavily into fitness? Are they constantly causing this type of damage with oxidative stress, which then has to be repaired? Well, that's true, but it's also true during aging, for example, where our membranes normally get uh, damaged during aging processes and mitochondrial membranes are particularly sensitive to aging. And as we age, they get more damaged. And so if you look at a 90-year-old, many of these 90-plus-year-old people have lost almost half their mitochondrial function. And a lot of that is due to accumulated damage in the mitochondria, and a lot of that damage is due to damage to the mitochondrial membrane. And the intermitochondrial membrane is integral to our production of energy, and if that's damaged, they become leaky and lose function, and they can't maintain the transmembrane potential, the electrical potential across the intermitochondrial membrane which is absolutely necessary to produce high-energy molecules. Right, right. Well, to take a step back, when you're talking about the transmembrane, what's the function of the membrane in terms of generating electricity? Because basically the mitochondria are a bit like our power cells, our batteries, which feed our cells and the rest of our body with energy. But how do they do that? And what's the role of the membrane in that process? Well, I always liken mitochondria to the little batteries inside our cells. And like any battery, it has to be insulated to uh, selectively uh, permit a transmembrane potential across different membranes. And in our mitochondria, it's a biologic membrane instead of a synthetic membrane that we have in batteries. But it provides the same kind of insulation necessary to separate electrical charges. And so when this separation of electrical charges occur, you can make a battery out of it. Essentially, that battery drives the production of high-energy molecules in the mitochondria, just as it does in in a normal battery. Great. And what types of damage are we talking about when we're talking about this membrane getting damaged? Well, there's certain molecules in the membrane, mm-hmm. particularly the phospholipids that make up the matrix of the membrane, that when they're damaged, uh, there can be enhanced leakiness across the membrane. So it's like you get a leakiness. If you take the insulation off a battery, it will leak, and you lose the charge of the battery. Same thing in the mitochondria. If they become leaky and the inner membrane becomes leaky, you can lose the transmembrane potential, and then you can't form the high-energy molecules. There are also some critical lipid molecules like cardiolipin that are exquisitely sensitive, in fact, to oxidative damage, 
And when you're damaged, uh, this is, results in loss of function. So these two different types of things are very important, the direct function and the transmembrane potential. So these are different types of fat molecules that we need in the membrane for it to function optimally. And it's kind of like holes have been punched in the surface of the membrane and, and molecules have been knocked out of it. Is that a way to look at it? It's a little more subtle than that. When oxidative damage occurs, and think of the lipid chains that are going into the membrane, into the hydrophobic matrix of the membrane. You can think of kinks getting in those chains after they've been oxidatively damaged. And those kinks mean that the lipids can't fit together as well. And there's a certain rate of leakiness across the membrane. Great. Is this something anyone should be concerned about in terms of the type of damage? You just referred to a 90-year-old, the damage that's gone on to them. What kind of symptoms could someone think of if maybe they don't have a chronic disease, like some of the ones you referred to? But is there other indicators that potentially they have some aspect of mitochondrial damage in terms of some symptoms they could look out for, which might identify that? You're referring to like a brain fog or other symptoms. Are there obvious ones or is it always very different and it's kind of difficult to differentiate this to other things that might be going on? Well, obviously, a number of different factors can cause problems with your central nervous system, for example, your peripheral nerves and other systems of your, of your cells. But one of the things that can happen is that if the energy systems inside the cells get run down, they don't function as well. It's as simple as that. So if you don't produce enough energy in your cells, your cells can't function as well. So all the different functions that cells do, and of course, the nervous system, the function is to transmit nerve impulses. If they're not functioning properly, then the nerve impulses can't be uh, transmitted properly. And so that leads to loss of function. Now, this can occur when people get run down. And they can get run down for a variety of reasons. They can lose their energy stores, for example, or they can have them damaged, like the mitochondrial damage that I was talking about. Some of this occurs naturally, and it's reversed by rebuilding things like the membrane as it's damaged. And if there's some process that prevents that rebuilding of the membrane, uh, then this will persist. For example, during infection, we know that a variety of different types of infections, viral, bacterial, so on, cause an increase in the what are called reactive oxygen species, or ROS. And these damage the membranes of the cell. And in particular, they can damage the inner mitochondrial membrane and cause loss of function. So these are things that can happen. So they can happen during infection, can happen during aging, can happen during chronic illness. It can happen when you get run down, for example, or you have exposures of various types that are toxic. So under a variety of different conditions, you can have damage done to your mitochondria, which means loss of function, and your body cannot repair itself as well without that energy that's necessary to do it. Great. I guess an important differentiation I just wanted to point out here is a lot of people talk about adrenal fatigue. And if one of the symptoms is fatigue, basically having low energy, which I guess would be one of the outputs of, of mitochondrial damage, how do you differentiate it, or is it possible to differentiate it to something where, which would someone would diagnose as adrenal fatigue, or how do you look at that? Well, they go hand in hand, because for the adrenal gland to function, it requires energy. So if there's an energy deficit in the adrenal gland, then that's not producing the, the correct hormones and other things that your body needs, cytokines and so on. So this ends up a deficit, and this can cause a problem. So they're interrelated. Right, right, right. And it sounds like you'd think like a mitochondrial damage might be a precursor to adrenal fatigue often. It could be a precursor to adrenal fatigue. And so we, we've seen people that have uh, managed to repair their endocrine systems by repairing their mitochondria. So at least we know, at least in some patients, that's reversible. Now, in other patients, they may have either genetic defects or 
toxic exposures or something like that that's damaging specifically those particular adrenal glands. So that's a different issue. But we do know that these things are interrelated. You don't have the energy you can't repair. So you've worked in your clinical studies and your patient population. You've worked, as you're saying, with Gulf War illness and chronic fatigue syndrome and some others. Could you give a brief explanation, a review for the audience? What are the issues for these people? How critical are they? What kind of situation are they in? Before we talk about the lipid replacement therapy and what it was able to do. Well, there's quite a bit of variation on the signs and symptoms of people with chronic illnesses of a variety of different sorts. We started working with what are called fatiguing illnesses because chronic fatigue is the hallmark of those illnesses. And that's directly related to mitochondrial function. So that was a good place to start. A lot of other diseases, mitochondrial function may be thought of as a side issue, although it's important, it may not be the primary clinical manifestation of the disease process. Nonetheless, it's still important in practically any chronic illness. If you take something like a neurodegenerative disease, for example, mitochondrial function is intimately tied up with neurodegeneration. You cannot repair your nervous system if you don't have the energy available to do it. So when mitochondrial function goes down, you're particularly susceptible to neural damage. And if you have that process going on, it can exacerbate it. So this is one of the things that we are trying to work with, how to improve mitochondrial function, how to help people with a variety of chronic illnesses. So we started with the fatiguing illnesses, and Gulf War illnesses are one of the fatiguing illnesses, but uh, chronic fatigue syndrome uh, is another one. Fibromyalgia syndrome is another. Fibromyalgia syndrome is a little different because it's also characterized by widespread pain. In part, we think that that's due to, to mitochondrial function problems as well, the nervous system not uh, operating properly. But there are some other factors as well. So all these issues have as an underlying commonality loss of mitochondrial function. In a variety of different diseases, that's true. And it's true in infections. It's true in toxic exposures. It's true in a wide variety of different diseases, cancer, all, all you name it. Practically every disease you can think of uh, has a problem with mitochondrial function that can't keep up the repair process. Today, are there other, beyond the ones we've already discussed, are there other types of patient populations or other use cases you've looked at for lipid replacement therapy? You mentioned anti-aging as well. Have you worked with people for that area also? Exactly. Well, anti-aging is probably the, the normal manifestation of, uh -huh. of mitochondrial function. As I mentioned, as you age, you lose mitochondrial function naturally, and there's an increase in the oxidative damage that occurs in all of our cells. And so we need to reverse that process. And so one of the things we've done with the aging process is we've taken people that were fatigued 90 years old plus, and we've improved their mitochondrial function to a 30-year-old. To a They've gained all kinds of function in the process, mental function, physical function, you name it. Every system that seems to be important uh, improves. In terms of the studies you've done, are these all based on studies or is some of this based on patient population? Are there studies, because like, you know, I've seen some of your presentations uh, looking at your studies work on the, the fatigue cases and the Gulf War syndromes. So are all of the studies basically based on those patient populations versus the anti-aging or have you also done studies on anti-aging also? Well, we've done uh, some studies where we've included older people in our studies, and that's where we see the anti-aging effect. So with those older cohorts of, uh, of patients, well, they're really not their subjects, not patients, because their main problem is uh, they're elderly and they have fatigue issues. So we can't categorize them as a disease process because it's a natural process of aging. So they're fatigued subjects. So they have chronic fatigue, but they don't have a disease called chronic fatigue syndrome 
or myalgic encephalopathy or something like that, they have fatigue problems. So uh, we've worked with uh, people like that as well. We've also worked with cancer patients. We've worked with uh, people with uh, chemical exposures. We've worked with uh, people with infections. Uh, For example, there are a wide variety of chronic infections that we've worked with, like Lyme disease, mycoplasma infection, so on and so forth. We're, uh, again, in the chronic disease process, uh, it's always an issue. Mitochondrial function is always an issue. Right. Would you say it's going to be helpful in in most situations to have some kind of lipid replacement therapy as a support for your mitochondria? In terms of the disease process, uh, to give an idea, what kind of results do you get from people? Can you get people back to resolution? Or is is this basically a managing kind of symptoms, managing the damage of, of mitochondria kind of therapy? Well, it depends on the situation. If we take a normal, healthy people uh, that get run down for one reason or another, yes, we can bring them completely back by repairing their mitochondrial function. If you take people that are in a disease process, usually these processes are much more complex than just mitochondrial function. Mm. Mitochondria being one part of the problem that they have, and we can repair that part, but there are other elements that have to be taken care of as well. For example, if you take somebody with a neurodegenerative disease, does just repairing their mitochondria reverse the process? No. There's some other elements that are involved. Does it help? Yes, it seems to help people with cognitive uh, loss and so on and so forth, but it doesn't uh, reverse it or completely cure the problem. That would be a pretty simplistic approach to these complex multifactorial issues. But we do know that this is an important element uh, in all these processes. Do you feel like it provides a support to get people to recovery, that it could be it's an important ingredient in your practice? You, you feel like it helps people to recover by giving them mitochondria energy, thus supporting things like the immune system and other systems of the body? Absolutely. If you talk about the immune system, for example, it requires energy to function. So if your energy goes down, uh, your system might be less capable. So it's absolutely important there. And it's absolutely important for any type of recovery because what is recovery? Generally, it's repairing our cellular processes and our system processes or processes, and that requires energy. That just doesn't happen naturally without energy. Okay, so let's get kind of concrete here for the audience at home. What is lipid replacement therapy? What does it actually involve? What do people do when they're taking lipid replacement therapy? Well, this is a particular type of lipid. This is not just the normal gross lipids that people might think of. These are very particular membrane lipids. So these are lipids that make up our membranes of all our cells. And of course, as I mentioned before, the membrane's an integral part of the mitochondria, but they're also an integral part of other organelles within the cell. Membranes, uh, in fact, they're absolutely essential for the function of, of all of our cells. And they get uh, damaged, they get run down. We have to replace the molecules in the membrane occasionally. And some of the most sensitive molecules are the lipid molecules because they're very sensitive to oxidative damage, which can occur in any disease process, infection, or whatever. So this is something that has to be replaced. So we came up with this idea, well, we need to replace the membrane lipids, which are primarily a class of lipids called glycerophospholipids. We don't need a lot of uh, other things. That's what we need to help repair the more or less the matrix of the membrane. So if we supply that in purified form, undamaged form, which is very important, then we should be able to help repair this process because we have natural systems uh, in our body to replace uh, these lipids as they're damaged because we evolved with a mechanism to help uh, repair and replenish our membranes. The problem is we can't keep up with the damage and that's when a disease process can occur. 
So to help it along, if we provide lipids, uh, we can help that process. Now, people say, well, you can buy all kinds of different stuff at the store. Well, the reason it doesn't do it is a lot of those lipids are already damaged. They're already oxidized. They're not the right kind of lipids and so on. So they're not very helpful. Even a lot of supplements that people buy in the store are not very helpful because even if they have lipids, they're not the right kind of lipids or they're already damaged or they're damaged during the shelf life. These are very sensitive issues, which we've tried to overcome with the products that are designed uh, to survive uh, and uh, provide our bodies with exactly the right lipids that we need to repair our membranes and restore function. So would it be correct to, because you provide these in, in pill form, is it basically these are things we can get from food, but we get them in very low quantities. And so it's like having a very high dose of the reduced form, the active form versus the oxidized form of these lipids. Well, that's part of it. But a lot of the lipids are damaged already by the time we take them in in the foods. And unfortunately, our transport systems, uh, they can't readily acknowledge a damaged lipid from a properly pristine, undamaged lipid. And so a lot of these things might get uh, transported in as well. Or at least uh, they're transported in. Too much of it's transported in if it's damaged. So we kind of flood the system with undamaged lipids, and that helps the whole process move very smoothly. It also helps remove the damaged lipids, which is one thing we're working on now, is how to take people who are chemically damaged, and I can talk about that later, help them remove those damaged chemicals from their bodies. And it turns out lipid replacement therapy can help do that because it's an energy-driven process, so it helps provide the energy, but it also is very dependent upon moving what we call hydrophobic molecules out of the cells. And the lipids that we provide have a very important part of their structure. Uh, a hydrophobic part of their structure, which helps remove these molecules. So if they're present in quite a bit of excess, it can help remove these damaging chemicals uh, from our system. And that's one thing we're working on right now. That, that sounds very interesting. I mean, we've spoken about detoxification before. So just to take a step back, when you say chemically damaged people, what kind of things has happened to these people? Well, often the people with uh, chemical damage due to, and this could be anything from uh, herbicides, for example, to very industrial chemicals and so on and so forth, often damaging chemicals are chemicals that we would classify as hydrophobic chemicals. That is, they don't like water. They like fat, essentially. So they concentrate in our membranes. They concentrate in the fatty parts of our cells and lipid droplets and so on. And they can remain there indefinitely. And they can bleed out very slowly and cause problems with the cellular mechanism. So to get rid of these, we need a system to remove them. But the system that we have for detoxification is an energy-dependent system, at least one of the, the most important ones. So by providing mitochondrial energy, that helps in that process. But it also helps remove them because it turns out the lipids that we provide kind of soak up these molecules because they will bind to the lipids. And it helps them be excreted from the cells and from our system. So they'll naturally come out in the GI system. So that sounds like the new molecules that you're providing are basically replacing the ones which have absorbed the toxins, the chemicals, the fat-soluble chemicals, and are thereby displacing them and allowing them the body to remove them. Well, that's, that's basically it, but uh, it's providing a different store, a different storehouse for these chemicals to move into, but a storehouse that we can eliminate. And that's the important thing is to, there's a, one of the mechanisms uh, for moving chemicals that's most important for these very damaging chemicals that concentrate in our cells is that there are enzymatic mechanisms to conjugate the offending chemicals with other hydrophobic molecules within the cells to make them more 
easily removable. Well, when that happens, if we have uh, somebody's undergoing lipid replacement therapy, there's a lot of uh, these lipid droplets around and, and lipid carriers around, which could help soak these conjugated chemicals up and remove them from our system. So it's a process, a very slow and steady process of removal. It doesn't, of course, happen overnight, but it's a natural system for uh, removal of damaging, offending chemicals from our, our bodies. And this just takes it to, to its maximum advantage by providing some of the things necessary for it to operate in the first place. So out of interest, because we've spoken quite a bit about detoxification and also the kinds of tests involved in like measuring things like mercury, you know, lead and other toxins, are you able to test these chemicals in fats and see the change? And, and how long does it take? Does, I mean, does it take a month, two months? Again, we're not talking about heavy metals because that's a different process of removal. We're talking about chemicals that partition themselves into the fatty portions of your cells. So these chemicals, uh, they could be, for example, herbicides or any number of different chemicals. BPA and uh, a lot of the other chem chemicals. Yeah, a lot of the, the chemicals uh, that damage our cells are very hydrophobic, and they partition into the fats of the cell, the fat systems and the membranes of the cell. They have to be removed, or eventually they'll interfere with the function. That removal process is slow. It does not happen overnight. So it's a very slow process of bleeding them out, removing them from the stores, and so on and so forth. So one of the first things that you can see, for example, if you give somebody lipid replacement therapy, is you might actually see an increase in the number of these chemicals that are, that are being excreted, that are being at least mobilized as well. So there may be an increase in the blood levels of these because they're being brought out of the cells and being transported to the brush border cells in the intestines and then secreted there. So, uh, but again, there, there are a number of different mechanisms, this being just one of them. I'm guessing this is a new area that it seems, sounds like you're more focused on this recently. This is a very uh, new area of ours that we plan to get uh, very focused on because it's so important, so necessary to help these people, many of whom have been damaged for decades without uh, much help at all. So just out of interest, are there any specific exposures and is it people working in factories or, or is it people who have detoxification systems which aren't functioning for the Perhaps they have SNPs and methylation or, or other issues, which they've lived a pretty normal life compared to most people. It's not like they've been in any specific situation which could have exposed them to more chemicals. What kind of uh, populations are you dealing with here? Well, generally, I mean, we work with the populations that are sick in general, although a variety of uh, different individuals uh, may be exposed in general to chemicals because they're all over the place in our modern environment. People have tremendous uh, variation in their sensitivities to these chemicals. So you may have somebody that's been normally uh, and naturally exposed who is becoming sick because of it, and other people not at all, because there's such a range of sensitivities to these. So we've worked with people who've had specific exposures. For example, uh, Vietnam uh, War veterans who've had exposure to Agent Orange, which is a particularly nasty chemical. It takes a long time to remove it from the body. Our Gulf War veterans who are exposed to petrochemicals uh, in the forms of fumes and exhausts and oil fires and so on and so forth during the first Gulf War and some during the second Gulf War. So these are people that have had chemical exposures above and beyond the normal types of exposures that we, we might see. But in the industrial environment that we're in, uh, there are a lot of people that get exposed to various chemicals. Uh, if you work in the petrochemical industry, for example, you could be exposed fairly easily and it may not cause any problems with you, but there are other individuals who have severe problems because of it. So there, again, there's a wide range of, of different uh, sensitivities to these different chemicals that uh, 
seem to be in our population. Great. I just wanted to bring up because, you know, I know a lot of people talk about um, infrared saunas and saunas in general, where it comes to fat detoxing from the, the fat soluble toxins, like the ones we're talking about. So do you have a viewpoint on that, uh, the effectiveness of an infrared sauna? Is it something you've ever got involved with? And could you compare it to your process? We've looked a bit into that. And yes, uh, the use of uh, infrared saunas to actually bring the chemicals out in your sweat, which is what it really does. Uh, and if you do these uh, at least minimum two times a week, uh, you'll slowly start to deplete some of the chemicals from your body. What we found is if you add our lipid replacement therapy on top of that, you can accelerate the process of removing the chemicals from your body that way. So again, this can be an adjunct to a variety of uh, very well-established methods for detoxification. Great. Have you seen complete recoveries or to what degree uh, have people recovered from their health? Because we're talking about people who are quite quite sick. So what kind of... Well, we're in the beginning process of this right now. So this okay. is a long-term sort of goal of ours. But again, this is just the beginning. And uh, we're seeing some responses. We're seeing uh, people that are feeling better, getting better. But it's again, it's a long, slow process for complete recovery. And again, there may be other types of damage along the way that we discover that these individuals have. The, most of these chronic illnesses are multifactorial. There's not just one problem. Generally, these people have a number of problems, and this being one of them. But this is something that we can approach. Absolutely. So it sounds like an ongoing process of a, a year. We're talking really long term. Just to give people an idea. We're talking long term particularly when it comes to removing offending chemicals from your body. It's a long-term process. Same thing with removal of heavy metals from your body. It's not a short-term process. It can take years to remove heavy metals from your body. And the same thing is true with chemicals that build up in your body. It can take a long time to thoroughly get rid of them. And in fact, if you mobilize them too quickly, you can really make people feel sick in the process. So it's better to do it naturally and slowly. So... I'm glad you brought this up because we've spoken about these kind of topics uh, quite often on the podcast before. It's nice to get that. Is there anything you have to do in terms of uh, supporting them? Because you, you mentioned that some people can get sick if it comes out too fast. Is there anything else you do for them while you're, you're using the lipid replacement therapy to support detox? Or is, as long as you go at a reasonable rate, which I imagine is a reasonable dose? What we have found is that lipid replacement therapy actually reduces the symptoms of detoxification, reduces the symptoms, for example, of the cancer chemotherapy. So, and it's very significant in our studies uh, with the cancer patients. They've showed a uh, really quite a dramatic decrease in the side effects due to chemotherapy because it causes a lot of damage to our normal systems and the, the lipid replacement therapy helps repair those normal systems. So you, you get a reduction in the associated problems, adverse events that occur during cancer therapy. So you could think of it as, uh, again, you're repairing the normal mechanisms of the cells, the tissues, and this helps in the overall process. Right, right. So you're saying a lot of the symptoms people have when they're going through a detoxification process, or as you're saying, chemotherapy, or exposure to other toxins, or when they're ill, is due to mitochondrial damage, right? So when, when you're supporting the mitochondria with lipid replacement therapy, it helps to manage the symptoms as well in that process and reduce them because there's not as much damage going on. Well, it does. And not only that, it helps the accessory systems as well, because a lot of the signs and symptoms that we see that are associated with damage are release of chemical messengers like cytokines that cause all kinds of problems in the body and so on. And damaged tissues can initiate this whole process. So if you reduce the damage, you can reduce these accessory damage response systems from exacerbating the signs and symptoms in these patients. Great. And um, one thing I wanted to kind of make clear to people is like, what kind of results? Because when I was watching some of your clinical studies, you, know, you were looking at doing it over a few months, you were giving them lipid replacement therapy. 
Could you talk about what kind of impacts it, it generally has on, on the people if we're talking about, say, the chronic fatigue or and the girl syndrome cases, the ones I saw? What kind of uh, timelines did you walk through in your, in your clinical studies? And also, it was interesting what happened when you stopped the therapy. This is a process that takes time. Uh, you don't repair your mitochondria overnight. It takes uh, days to weeks. To The process can begin fairly soon after you take the lipid replacement, but it takes time to, to fully repair the mitochondria. And we've seen, again, that it can take, uh, depending upon the different formulations of lipids, anywhere from uh, 10 days to three months, depending upon the formulation, depending upon the patient type, uh, to reach an equilibrium of repair. And uh, these people see the maximum benefit at that time, but they do see benefit fairly, fairly soon. And then what happens when you stop the therapy, depending on the condition? So when it's in a chronic condition like chronic fatigue syndrome or, or Gulf syndrome, where they have some kind of infection or some underlying cause, then what happens when you stop the therapy? Well, then it slowly returns back. Uh, as the mitochondria get damaged again, it will slowly go back to the way it was before you started the therapy. And one of the uh, trials that we did was called a crossover trial, where we take patients and they're on part placebo and on part uh, the lipid replacement therapy but they don't know when they get it. And what we found was is when they got the lipid replacement therapy, they improved and their mitochondrial function improved 35 to 45%. They had reductions in fatigue anywhere from, uh, pardon me, the reductions of fatigue were 35 to 45%. The enhancement of mitochondrial function uh, was a little bit less than that in terms of percentage, but very significant. But when we switched them to placebo, that slowly started to go back again. Yeah. And they wondered what was going on because it wasn't having the same effect. So we could prove that it was, in fact, the lipid replacement therapy that was giving them the benefit, not a placebo effect. Great. Thank you very much for that. And so what were you using to assess mitochondrial function in terms of tests? Well, what we do is we take a blood sample from patients. We isolate the white blood cells, which have mitochondria. The red blood cells do not have mitochondria. And we can measure the mitochondrial function directly. And what we've done actually more recently is we've measured the membrane potential of the inner mitochondrial membrane using a special redox dye called rhodamine-1,2,3. We can see that the fluorescent dye in the mitochondria, if the mitochondria are fully function, they will reduce that dye and it will fluoresce. But if they're not functioning, they can't reduce it. It won't, the mitochondria won't fluoresce. So we can see it visually in a microscope and we can quantitate the fluorescence so we can get a quantitative value. Great, great. So this is your own lab test that you developed for this purpose? Well, other people really developed the test. We just adapted it to what we were doing. Great. Well, I guess what I wanted to say, it's a very specialist. It's a pretty unique, like we wouldn't expect to find it outside of research, apart from potentially your practice and, and some other specific areas. Well, this is a very specific research type of test, and, and uh, you won't find it in your normal doctor's office, that's for sure, because uh, it requires uh, some complicated machinery like a cell sorter and fluorescent, dual, dual fluorescent light sources and so on and so forth. So it's a bit complicated, but uh, it works in a research environment. So it's not something you use on your patient population. I guess it's uh, cost prohibitive. It sounds like quite a complex. Well, it is, and, and, and speed is very important. So you have to have a very fresh sample. Often, if you're not doing the test immediately or soon, you, know, you can get uh, variable results. So to get the best results, uh, speed is very important. So in general, you, you have to have this complicated equipment on hand to do it and the technical expertise to do it. So how well accepted is lipid replacement therapy? We've spoken with functional medicine doctors here, and we've looked at functional medicine quite a bit. Contemporary medicine is there, of course, also, and in the research studies. 
Is there a lot of support for it right now? Or is it still something quite niche that basically there's not very many people using? Well, more and more are using it uh, because more and more people are finding out about it. And we published uh, some 28 uh, papers uh, on this process. So it's uh, well known in the, the literature. We published a number of reviews on it now. Less known in the general population of physicians, uh, more in the naturopathic medicine areas, mainly because I get around and talk to these people, and they, they get informed that way through conferences and so on. So uh, it's becoming more and more well known, and, and even people outside the, the medical area uh, find out about it through broadcasts like yours, for example. They can buy this stuff over the counter. It's not something that they need a physician script for. This is, these are natural supplements. It's the lipids that are in our membranes all along. So it's not a drug. It's not anything but what's there. We just have to provide it in a way that's not damaged. Well, so I've got to ask you the question. Are you using lipid replacement therapy yourself? Absolutely. Okay. How long have you been using it? Uh, I've been using it for years now. Okay, and great. It's been very effective uh-huh. for me in terms of reduction of fatigue. And, and for example, when I get a, recently, I, I got an uh, influenza virus, unfortunately, kind of knocked me down. And this helped the repair process. I recovered much more quickly than normal. And uh, so I think it's very useful for that. What kind of dose are you taking? Let's talk about like practicals here. Like, so because I'm taking ATP fuel, for example, because I've had my own issues and it was recommended to me and your research was recommended to me. So that's kind of where I came into it. So I've been taking that for a while, um, the ATP fuel, and you have the NT factor which is, is the part of that. Is that actually your company who supplies that or is that another company? I'm in a nonprofit organization. We're, we're not really a company, but we do consult with companies like Research Nutritionals that makes the ATP fuel, Nutritional Therapeutics in New York, which makes the NT factor, the lipids. In fact, the Research Nutritional uses the, the NTI product in, in their own product. They add some other things as well. So uh, ATP fuel is, a, is an excellent product. For these chemical uh, exposure patients, so in fact, I've just been going back and forth with the president of Research Nutritionals because we need to increase the amount of NT factor, which is the lipids, that product, to really help these individuals. So what we found is that more of the NT factor is actually better. And you might want to supplement your ATP fuel with some NT factor lipid wafers. By the way, this is an excellent product. Uh, we use these with children, for example, that have autism spectrum disorders. And these children have mitochondrial function problems. They readily take these wafers and they don't take pills. They just don't, you can't get them to take a pill. Right, right. But these wafers are very tasty and they're creamy and they melt in your mouth because they're lipids. Right. So they like these creamy things. And so uh, we have no problem with the compliance. Uh, even with difficult cases like these autistic children, these are things that, that we uh, work with on a daily basis. And we try and improve our products as we go. And recently we found that although ATP fuel is a really good product, um, I'm saying for the chemically exposed individuals that we need to increase the amount of NT factor for the lipids in that product. So just for the audience, the ATP fuel has coenzyme Q10 and, and, and NADH added to it. Obviously, it's the, the, the dose of lipids which you see as the most important. This is kind of the innovation here, the lipid replacement therapy. That seems to be the most important thing uh, because uh, if you leave that out, it's not very effective. If you put it in, it's very effective. So it is a combination 
but it's uh, it's a critical part of that combination. Let's just talk downsides here. Are there any downsides you know to this? And you know, is there any safety issues? I just want to just kind of want to make that clear in terms of maybe if you overdose it, you're talking about increasing the dose for chemically exposed people. Is there any downside or risk to taking a lot of this? We've never seen a safety issue with the antifactor lipids. As a matter of fact, uh, we've given approximately 40 million doses of this to patients without uh, any you know, recorded evidence of a real side effect. Uh, and the reason for that is that these are natural molecules that are in our cells and our systems all along. So we're not giving our systems anything that's different. We're not giving them a drug. We're not giving them something that they don't see all the time anyway. I don't know that it has any toxicity. There are some studies that have been done in animals where they've been given tremendous doses of these without any effect at all. Now, we've had patients that have been on, oh, up to several grams per day of uh, the anti-factor lipids without any effect. Matter of fact, they're more positive effects. There's, their um, blood lipids have, have more normalized. They've had a lot of uh, really positive things happen to them. So that's interesting. What kind of quantitative changes have you seen in terms of, are you talking about cholesterol markers? Yeah. Have, have changed as well? Cholesterol markers and bad and good lipids, for example, lipoproteins, uh, we've seen them move in the right direction. Uh, we've seen reductions in a product that's associated with heart disease, homocysteine. Uh-huh. We've seen in patients a reduction uh, over time in homocysteine levels, which are directly related to coronary artery disease and heart attack. So these are some of the beneficial things that we've seen in patients taking this long term. Great, great. Thank you for that. So are there things that you're looking forward to in the next five, 10 years where you think there's going to be some more changes or innovation? Or is there anything you're kind of excited about the opportunity of this to help more people or to improve it? Well, we're doing a, an anti-aging study right now, which I'm very excited about. It's actually going on in Uruguay. A colleague of mine who's there is a specialist on sperm function. And he takes care of uh, men with fertility problems. But as we age, you know, our sperm function declines. And that's what I'm interested right. in as a test model for anti-aging. So far, what we've seen is that even in vitro, if you take sperm, they have a certain lifetime. So if you take older men, they have uh, less of a lifetime. That is, they, they can be for a while, but then they start losing motility uh, more rapidly than from younger men. Well, if you put in the NT factor in it, we can help restore the function. Uh, of the sperm, even from older men. So the next step is that we're going to go from these in vitro experiments, which are very interesting, on sperm motility, to in vivo experiments, where we look at, at actual men with fertility problems that have functional problems with their sperm motility and see if we can help repair that process. But in terms of its anti-aging, which is what is, I'm really looking forward long range, this is an interesting model to look at. So whenever we have systems that undergo slow degeneration, like sperm function, over time, if we can reverse that process, uh, that means that, that we're having an anti-aging effect, and it's very clear, it's very specific, and very quantitative effect. And so that's one of the systems that we're looking at that I'm very excited about. And we also have a number of uh, different uh, disease processes that we're very interested in, in trying to intervene and see if we can help. Neurodegenerative diseases is one thing I'm very interested in. That's obviously a very long-term and slow process to uh, eventually recruit patients in that, in that area. Another thing is reducing the adverse effects of cancer and cancer therapy. So there are two aspects of this. If the person has cancer, they have, often they have what's known as cancer-associated fatigue in the absence of any therapy. And of course, the anti-factor will help patients with that. We've seen a 30% reduction 
inept fatigue with patients with long-term cancer that have had cancer-associated fatigue. But it's really reducing the side effects of cancer therapy that is most interesting because we've seen reductions uh, in side effects to chemotherapy that are really dramatic. So there's reductions, for example, not only in fatigue, but in, in vomiting and malaise and a number of other side effects, headaches, for example, and so on, associated with chemotherapy. And I think the reason for that is we're helping repair the normal systems very rapidly in these patients uh, after their burst of uh, chemotherapy. So you might ask, well, does this interfere with the therapy? And the answer is no, because it turns out there's a window of therapy which is very short for the cancer, but it's very long for the normal systems. So these chemotherapeutic drugs attack the cancer very quickly, but then they have lingering effects on our normal systems for months, literally, after the therapy is over. So what this does is the NT factor helps, helps reverse that process of damage after the therapy. It sounds like you're saying there's no risk of them providing a protective effect to the cancer cells themselves, provided that you, you introduce a timing. Well, we, uh, what we do is we put it in after the therapy because we know the damage to the cancer cells occurs very quickly, generally within hours after the therapy is administered, whereas the damage to normal systems occurs for weeks or even months later. So we, we allow the therapy to occur, and in the next day, the following day, we start the lipid replacement to help uh, prevent the, and repair the normal systems. This is really interesting work. It's, it's, you must be really excited about all of these projects you've been working on. It's something to do every day. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily you have lipid uh, replacement therapy to keep your energy up so you can keep focused on them all. Well, I've taken it, and uh, so far it's, uh, it's been a real help. Uh, I know that personally. But every individual will have to see you know, what's optimal for them. Some people we find have to take a bit more of the lipid replacement than other people, and that may have to do with their transport systems that bring these lipids into their bodies and cells, and everybody's different in that regard as well. So the same thing with detoxification. We have a system in place to help detoxify us, but it's working so poorly for most people, or their systems are swamped out with these dangerous chemicals, and they can't keep up with, with the damage. And so this helps accelerate the removal of chemicals. And also, we know that's an energy-dependent process, so it helps rebuild the energy systems that are necessary for detoxification. Because detoxification just doesn't occur naturally, it requires energy. So if you don't have the cellular energy necessary, you can give them all kinds of different things, and, and you're not going to see much improvement, or at least you can see a much better improvement if you repair their energy systems at the same time. So I think for any detoxification, mitochondrial repair is really important because it really helps accelerate the detoxification process. Great, great. Thank you. There is a cost. There's a cost side to this of, of this kind of therapy. So, in terms of monitoring, how do you assess whether someone should remain on the treatment? Is it purely based on symptoms resolution or whatever they're trying to achieve, or do you have any markers? You brought up the homocysteine, for example. So, if they had raised um, homocysteine and it went leveled out, you could probably say, "Okay, now now I can take you off the therapy because you've got to that critical." Well. Here's the problem that we have in the mm. modern environment. We don't stop mm. people from being exposed. We don't stop people from getting sick. We don't stop people from getting in automobile accidents or whatever. We can't do that. But what we can help them do is repair once it occurs. We can help repair and accelerate the healing process due to trauma. We can help the healing process due to infections. We can help the process due to long-term treatment of a chronic condition. 
all of that means that this is a long-term solution, not a, not a quick fix. And that's why I'm, being, I'm taking this for the rest of my life, frankly. And I put my father on it when he was 92, and he had much better cognition. He had much better, uh, less fatigue issues. He was more ambulatory and clear thinking and so on and so forth. Uh, and he lived another uh, eight or nine years. He was a coronary patient, and he was on his last legs when he started it. So I think it's never too soon, just like it's uh, never too soon to stop smoking. It's never too soon to start taking lipid replacement therapy. And yes, you may have to take it for the rest of your life if you want the benefit. Well, I, I think I'm certainly going to stay on it. So I'm very glad to have you on the show to like gonna spread the information about this. It's been very useful to me. In terms of other people who, besides yourself, you would recommend to talk to about mitochondria or or lipid replacement therapy. Is there anyone else who's like done work which you would like reference, which is interesting? They've done a lot of work in this area. Well, people can go to our publications and they can see what we've cited in terms of the references and the groups and so on. Yes, there are other people working on different aspects of it. For example, there's some groups in Europe that are using intravenous uh, lipids, similar type, but not the same. And they're getting very good results uh, with that. Uh, we prefer the oral uh, supplements uh, because obviously you can't go in every day for an intravenous lipid replacement therapy. So we prefer people take it orally uh, because we, have the, we know we have the mechanisms in our brush border cells lining our gut to bring these lipids in naturally because they're important. They're essential lipids. So this is a very natural process that we're supplementing, essentially. And I think people need to find out about this. Uh, the ATP fuel that you mentioned is primarily available through physicians and naturopaths and professional health people. But there are also a lot of people out there maybe listening that want to know where can I get this stuff on my own. And there's a website called ntfactor.com where they can buy all these products over the counter because they're just natural supplements. And so uh, that's uh, where they can go, ntfactor.com, uh, to, to find uh, these lipids, the lipid replacement therapy products, and find out more about it. And they can go to our website, the Institute for Molecular Medicine, which is www.immed.org. It's like immediate.org. And they can see the scientific results in the clinical trials. Great. Thank you for so much. Well, we're going to put all of this in the show notes. Uh, some people have all the references, you know, to everything we've spoken about today. Would you recommend they take the straight version of NT Factor? Because there's these different combinations of things. So, Well, it depends on, on what people want to do. And uh, also depends in a lot of cases on what people can afford if they're buying supplements and stuff. And so the minimum thing they need is the NT Factor lipids. Uh, now the more complex formulations like the one you're taking cost more because they have a lot of other ingredients that are very costly in them. Um, but if they want the initial punch, they need to take a, at a minimum the anti-factor lipids. Absolutely. That sounds like the big lever. So Garth, thank you so much for your time today. I just on a personal note, are there any data metrics that you track for yourself, either on a routine basis or a once yearly basis for your health, longevity, or performance? Well, of course we you know, we look at routinely at membrane lipids, for example, in our blood. We look at things like homocysteine and so on, and my levels are very low. I find that I feel better in NT Factor. And by the way, I have gone on a trip uh, recently and I forgot to take it along and I suffered because of it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I, 
I feel very strongly about taking it on a daily basis. Uh-huh. So I've seen it myself. I mean, I know that I can recover much faster uh, from travel associated problems, for example, uh, from illnesses and so on and so forth. If, if I take the NT factors and that's what other people reported back to us as well. It's not just my own personal results. It's, we get a lot of feedback from, from a lot of people who are taking this and now millions of tens of millions of doses have, have been given to patients and subjects and so on in various forms. And, uh, so far, we haven't had any complaints, and that's the good news. It's great news. It's amazing news. Thank you very much for your time today, Garth. It's been great to have you on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. To get more of the Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website, verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.